Welcome to the Pharma Sales and Tech Podcast. Join Artem, Stefan, Ruslan, and Chris as we explore the latest trends and developments in the pharmaceutical industry with a focus on sales and technology. From cutting-edge innovations to practical tips and strategies, our expert guests will provide valuable insights to help you stay ahead of the game. Tune in to stay informed, inspired, and connected with the world of pharma sales. Hello, hello, dear listeners. It's Stefan here again, and with the Sales Pharma and Tech podcast, sponsored by Platforce, we have today a wonderful guest. Her name is Nikki Nedim. Okay, I, I made that right. That's awesome. Nikki works for a um, small company called Atrimus Pharma if I pronounce it correctly, but I'll let Nikki do her own intro. Nikki, tell us more about what you do yourself. So thank you for having me. Um, I work at a company called Atrimosorix, and what we do is we import and supply equivalent to products which are on shortage uh, in Sweden, or uh, recently, for example, FDA-approved products or MHRA-approved products uh, which are not yet registered and approved in the Swedish market. And the reason we do this is because Sweden and Nordic countries in general have a low population and we do not have that many approved medicines in our countries. Just to give you perspective, in Germany, I think we have around 150, 120,000 approved medicines, while in Sweden we have around 11,000 registered pharmaceuticals. And what happens is that when something goes on shortage, on temporary shortage in Sweden, let's say due to lack of API or production issues, the, the physicians and the clinics do not have any other equivalents to turn to, to treat the patients. Or it could be that there's this new, let's say, oncology product, and uh, it will take several years before it gets uh, EMA approved or become locally registered in Sweden. And there's a specific physician who knows that this could be the medicine for my patient in Sweden because the patient in Sweden is not responding to existing approved medicines and they want to try the latest, absolute latest treatment on this patient. So this is where Atomos comes in, where you know we offer alternatives and options to physicians and to uh, pharmacists uh, at clinics and hospitals and uh, inform them of what is available in different countries and they go through the details and based on, you know, patient, you know, details, you know, existing, let's say, disease, they, they make a decision of which option to go for. So this is where what Atomos does in short. Mm -hmm. So we usually talk on our podcast about like sales and marketing strategies, but you mentioned an interesting case where you guys had to go above and beyond your expectations, your limitations. It was related to some COVID medicine that you had to ship out from South Korea and Ukraine. Can you tell me more about this case? Absolutely. This is a case that we're really, really proud of. And uh, this was a couple of years ago, of course. When COVID hit, of course, a lot of medicines went on shortage. And a lot of countries and authorities in Europe decided to impose an export ban on essential medicines which are needed to you know, cover their own market and you know, their own you know, patients, which is normal. And it's nothing you know, out of ordinary. But what happened was that uh, Sweden faced uh, huge shortages and 
no other European country was capable of helping us with providing mm-hmm. these essential medicines. One of these medicines was propofol, and it was used to put uh, COVID patients who were in need of, you know, being in uh, these respirating machines or respirators to put them into sleep. And this medicine was nowhere to be found. We tried everywhere. Mm-hmm. We tried Europe. We tried uh, U.S. No, nobody could supply us. What we had to do, or what we mm-hmm. finally ended up doing, was that we we started searching in uh, different languages, and one of them was actually Korean. We started mm-hmm. searching Korean, and uh, because there's no mobile database which shows, you know, all approved medicines. And uh, sometimes you have to do your own, you know, research and use Google. And so we went back to basics. Mm-hmm. We started search, and we ended up on this, you know, Korean uh, manufacturer's homepage. We started calling them. We told them about the situation, and we did the same thing. We actually got lucky with a Ukrainian company, and they had enough to cover, you know, their own local market and you know, treat their own patients. And we had to. And uh, make an agreement with them. These were two new vendors that you never worked with. They didn't know us either. And it was a lot of money that we were talking about that they wanted us to prepay. So uh, we had to go to the banks and we had to ask for credit and for loans to be able to prepay these vendors. And we just needed to take in a little of faith and trust each other. We needed to talk to the hospitals and pharmacies and physicians and see what is the exact volume they're interested in? And the volumes were gigantic. We were talking about several and several and several thousands of, you know, packs. And some of these packs were available for immediate shipment, but the rest of them were supposed to be produced and be batch released in the coming months. And we had this really, really tight schedule with the hospitals and clinics in Sweden that we had agreed on and expected us to deal this medicine on the minute, not on the hour, on the green minute. And we, we just had to make sure that that happens. It, I think it took huge, you know, it, it took a lot of time and resources and, you know, collaboration from the banks, but also from, you know, the vendors, the quality and regulatory team, from the sales team, from the physicians, hospitals, and clinics to put together this supply and solve this logistic issue. And one of the main challenges with that, finding the stop was, being able to transport it. Because it was COVID year, the entire world and all these different companies were actually importing and buying face masks and these covers that, you know, the hospital and healthcare staff mm-hmm. used. And there were no space on any planes to get your, let's say, 18 pallets of propofol and fly to Sweden. There was no way we, we tried and tried and we called everywhere, every logistic company possible who could help us. And they couldn't because everybody, every every space was fully booked months in advance. Well, what we ended up was actually ended up we ended up chartering the plane four times, two times out of South Korea and two times out of Ukraine to be able to bring the stock in. And this is something that we've never done in in our business. It's quite normal to fly, you know, products let's say through UPS or uh, FedEx. Or like, yeah, if you're not in Russia, you get a temperature controlled truck, but we've never chartered a plane in our life. But it was quite interesting and challenging to be able to do that. We, we got lucky with that as well. We, we called everyone that we know of. We Googled and we contacted all these different companies and it sorted out. We got lucky 
we sorted out, we charter plan at this huge, huge sum, and uh, we got our 18 pilots. But it, with our own challenges, everything was done, the paperwork was done, the banks were happy. And then, for example, one issue we had was the customs in Ukraine. Oh. They were delayed and they were not releasing the goods, and the plane was supposed to take off at a specific time, and it was 9 p.m., and we had this this heart palpitations, and we were so stressed and nervous because the day after, we had promised the hospitals in Sweden that they were going to get the stock. The plane was supposed to arrive in a, in a couple of hours, and then we had trucks ready at the airport where we were supposed to go and split these pallets into different shipments and into different you know, long-haul trucks at the to different, you know, uh, sides of the country, directly to hospitals. But it works out at the end. Uh, we got lucky and we repeated the same deal and the same transaction supply and logistic chain three more times. So in total, we had to charge a plane four times to do that. And as far as I know, we were the only one who could do this. And I'm very proud of it because we were we ended up doing in things where which were out of our comfort zone. We didn't have the space in our small warehouse back then to even store 18 pilots. We could do two, three pilots. There was no way we could handle 18 pilots. The entire team in the company came together and we went to the airport and we started splitting, going through, and imagine doing a batch control of so many different packs. And when we got 18 packs, it was six different batches. It, it was, it was standing there and going through that for hours trying to do this split. And of course, at the end, I mean, everybody felt good because we actually got to save patients. So that is one of our proudest moments in a company. And since you've done that, you think that anything is possible. Mm-hmm. Because you have the help and support of our vendors and you know, our suppliers, we are capable of doing anything. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful case study of great teamwork on both on your side and the supplier side okay my question would be more in terms of so you guys are a small company so you see you're supposed to be more like agile i was wondering what we just discussed the usage of pharma 14 is that the israeli company that supplies you with data yes as was wondering how do you use this data to like improve your sales or like track sales or like how do you use data for your sales uh, we use data to source medicines that on a routine basis, would not be able to find in our own, let's say, local Dropbox database that we have built or online. Mm-hmm. And because of language issues, we, so this data with Pharma 14 shows us what product, for example, is available in South Korea that there's no way I would have been able to, you know, find if I went to Google, for example, regarding, you know, under normal conditions. Or it shows us products in, let's in uh, Asian countries that we wouldn't normally go to source from. So it helped us with sourcing. It also gives us an, uh, an indication of what the pricing is in that country. So it also helps us with, uh, you know, with uh, negotiating prices with our existing vendors. And it's also, it gives you a general overview of what our competitors, our competitors are also capable of sourcing and what their pricing would be. So that's mm-hmm. how we use it. Yeah, we talked about using data and one of the biggest, well, the biggest data supplier on the market is IBS, which is now IQV. 
And what I found very interesting is that when we were in the Philippines with our company platforms, I visited local potential customers. I actually asked, like, how did I give you, how did IMS get so much data on prescription and drugs, right? And, and doctors. And apparently they've been, they have these like carbon made like dashboards where doctors write their prescriptions, basically write mm-hmm. carbon, and it leaves a copy there. And all that copy is basically the property of IMS. So they give out free notebooks, but in the back they have the prescription. And basically that's how they get all this data and all these like doctors writing prescriptions. And that's how they get all this data on like how much prescriptions have you made, what market. And then I think if you put it together, you know what the supply, you know what the supply is, you know what the demand is, and you have these like huge uh, data companies. Like, so they're doing a great job. I have nothing but uh, to appraise. I was wondering, like, so your relationships with suppliers are like very tight. How do you manage those relationships, right? Like you have to be professional, but at the same time friendly, like, do you have a way to do that? Quite we are extremely loyal to our vendors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started the company seven years ago, and when you have zero turnover and you're really bad people, there are not a lot of companies who are willing actually to work with you. So since we started actually in 2016, there were a couple of vendors that we knew from the past, and uh, they were willing to give us a bit you know, better you know, credit terms, and they were willing to supply us and help us to get on our foot. And so, you know, and we never forget these things. We never forget who helped us when we were a really, really small company with, let's say, two shipments per day to the pharmacies. And we stay loyal. And just because the, another vendor comes and says, look, I can offer you these German or these American products 10% cheaper, we don't switch. We never switch because of that. And we make sure that our vendors know that. We also want our vendors to benefit from our, you know, our collaboration. So we try not to be price sensitive. And uh, we ask them for a service, okay, agility, and being you know, quick on their feet. And for that, we have no issue paying a little bit more than the other customers. So these are a few things that we do to keep our vendors close. Also, uh, recently, or like actually a couple of years ago, we narrowed down our number of vendors from, let's say, 20 to actually five. So we work out with our top five vendors. Uh, it might you know, it might sound dangerous to put all your eggs in one basket, but uh, we have done that and uh, we've trusted our vendors. For example, we have this one, two top vendors in the US that we use. We have one general vendor where we buy all of our general lines. And they know that. We make sure that they know we're not if we're putting all the eggs in one basket and you're trusting them. And they trust us back. So and they appreciate the business. It becomes also easier for them. Why, for example, it wouldn't be beneficial for them to, for example, is they send ten packs to Action, ten packs to Company X in Sweden, five to another one, while they could, you know, do let's say fifty packs of shipping or fish fifty packs to Atomos instead. It really less paperwork for them, less you know logistic uh, handling for them, and more profitable. Regulatory too, regulatory too as well. So we try to make it as comfortable as easy possible to work with actions. So then these are a few examples of how we handle our vendors. Of course, we also try to have these quarterly follow-ups, 
or even, you know, weekly calls if necessary and follow up. And if there's anything that, let's say, is not working for some reason, we call them over, we let them know immediately and we give them the chance to sort it out. We do not just let it go on for days or months and then I guess get dissatisfied or mad for you know, performing according to expectations. You let them know immediately what they're getting for. And they really appreciate it and they do that. Mm-hmm. It's really good. It's a loyal, honest, transparent relationships with our vendors. Nikki, how about like your, your sales side, right? So like how many, do you have people who go in the fields and then they visit, say, doctors or pharmacies? No. Because the nature of the business that you're doing is importation of foreign medicines into Swedish market. So okay. by addition, these foreign medicines, let's say if the approved product okay. or if this Swiss medic approved product is not approved in Sweden, you're not legally allowed to market these products in Sweden. Mm, okay. So, yeah. No, no, is not allowed to go out and visit physicians in market. We can market their services, but mm-hmm. we cannot promote a specific product. So basically, if there is an order of, let's say, Atrivin, right? Then, and it's not marketed in Sweden, then in this case, you will deliver it right to the doors of the medical facility. But you're not allowed to discuss capabilities. You're not allowed to market it, correct? Well, what we do is if the physician, the pharmacy asks us for help, then we're allowed to give them as much information as possible. That's the regulation. Okay. If we reach out to you, to actuals, yes, then we give them all the input that they need. But we cannot proactively let them know. And this is quite unfortunate, but we have these huge shortages in Sweden. And uh, a few months ago, there was this, this uh, eye product, which was on shortage, and it was a really uh, important product because I remember patients were being interviewed on TV and in newspapers where they said that they would, they would be going blind if this medicine was not back to the market. Oh, and okay. Today on this product, it's equivalent in our warehouse, and we could not go out and inform physicians in Sweden that we had. So it has this downside as well. But if a physician who's aware of regulatory and who knows that they can legally prescribe a foreign medicine for a patient or intern clinic. Reach out to Adramus, then we can give them all the information. Just, just send us an email and say, hi, what do you have available? We can give them all the info in the world. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a bit difficult uh, business to be in. But once you're in and once you're established and the physicians and the clinics are aware of your competence and your knowledge, and uh, then they come to you automatically. So the way we've succeeded is that we get this daily request. We don't reach out to physicians or to pharmacists and clinics. They mm-hmm. come to Yeah, what I used to work for this parallel import company, you know, um, starts today. We did price requests every week. We had price requests. Basically, we would send a price request to our vendors, mm-hmm. and we would send the price request to our suppliers as well so basically you would have this database of supply from our vendor from our people or companies who can supply medicines and at the same time you would have some sort of price request from agencies as well agencies as pharmacies right so they would know yeah we're still live so we i used to call these requests newsletters because they looked more like a newsletter because it was really like a newsletter i would put sometimes as I remember now, I put sometimes the inf- interesting information about pharma, 
it was going in the market and you know before me they were just like simple like do you have this do you have this medicine how much and what packaging what strand and then i started like making it a bit nicer and people started reading so we had a good open rate now results were a bit better than than before long time since then but you know that shows that the way that there is a, a place for innovation anywhere even if it's like such a sort of like yes. i would say boring you know industry or like boring activity that you have to do okay i'm wondering like do you have a way so you guys have like if you're small you know small companies are usually very agile very flexible very technologically innovative are there any like Okay, first of all, like, how do you stay up to date to like the latest technology, like sales marketing or sales techniques, like anything that's around that? And like, how do you use it? It's true. I would say LinkedIn is through local publications, through newsletters, and then through our IT vendors. And then we we, we try, I mean, Sweden's quite digital and we're really proud Mm -hmm. of it. And what we do is, and at, the, at that shows at least, every quarter we go to our existing IT vendors and we ask them, so what's the latest thing? What is the latest function, the latest model? And then we try to figure out, is this something that uh, improves our daily work or is this something that will improve, uh, you know, uh, life for our customers? Mm-hmm. Either way, if it's something that is beneficial for either side, we try to take it in and implement mm-hmm. uh, but we also try to be some sort of trendsetter and bring in the latest solutions to the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something you're also proud of, just to give an example. I, I believe that, I hope I'm not wrong, but as far as I know, before Atribus, there was no official, there was no proper database of unlicensed medicines in Sweden where a physician or pharmacist could actually log in, search on active substance brand name, ATC code, see the authorization number of that product, download SPC, see pricing, stock level, latest you know, expiry date, shelf life, or download product monograph. There were small databases, but they didn't cover the entire, you know, all the necessary regulatory information that was needed for a physician to prescribe this foreign medicine. Mm-hmm. So we were the first one to actually uh, launch the database in Sweden a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was with actual collaboration of one of the biggest pharmacy chains in Sweden, which we're really, really grateful for. We got their input of how they wanted it. And we did that and we keep, you know, trying to add more new functions to it on a monthly basis, trying to make their lives easier and make sure that the physicians and the pharmacists spend as minimum admin time on unlicensed medicine as possible. And we've been interested for that. And we've seen that other companies and other uh, wholesalers and vendors of unlicensed medicine, like Angelos, are started to use the same layout as us, which is, which is quite a you know, co- nice compliment. That you're always the first one, and other companies mm-hmm. also are uh, our trend. You work with the, uh, was the Hard Apotheke in Sweden? Uh, yeah. Was that the one? Yes, a lot of the pharmacy chains that we so far. You saw the post on LinkedIn yesterday. Oh, yeah, them as well. Okay, cool. So my question is, like, when, when you get these packages, do you have to translate the labels into Swedish or how it works? No, we don't uh, According to local regulations, these unlicensed medicines, these foreign packs, 
they should be sent to the pharmacies and clinics exactly as they have in Iran. So if you have a Japanese pack, it goes in Japanese, exactly in original packaging to the clinic. If it comes in Greek, then it goes exactly as it is. So you're not allowed to label it, translate it, or do anything, basically? Or not touch it, no. At all? At all. Just which is quite like good. Um, it's a nice thing. So you should have the products coming in and then going out the same day. It's amazing. So, look, I'm wondering, since you guys have been innovative in so many things, right? Like, from yes. A to Z, how do you sort of, like, manage your sales? Like, it's a very it's a very tough business because you have to deliver medicines, like, on a very tight schedule. And yes. you have to stay, you try to stay without a big stock, right? Like, your stock is literally zero, if I'm not mistaken. Not necessarily, no. We have, at the moment, yeah. we have a portfolio of around 5,000 products. But okay. we stock around four or 500 items. And it's a risk you take because yep. some of these products are products which have been prescribed in Sweden uh, for decades. And you know that they're going to sell. So you bring in and we always have a, war, a one month's worth of stock of those specific items. And then of course we have some unlicensed medicines for bigger volume products right. and we stock those as well. But then the rest of the portfolio are basically on order. If you receive an order for a pharmacy or clinic, then we place an order with our vendors. During the COVID time, so like I, I assume logistics was a big issue. Is, is logistics still a big issue for ordering like medicines even after COVID? It is. It's because I think that if I understood correctly, all these logistic companies have problems with having enough cars and are they're all understaffed, mm-hmm. which it's difficult for products to arrive on time and get delivered on time. The majority have the same issue. And I guess and you just end up picking the company with the least problems. That you wish for the best and you pray that it works. But what we do actually good that you mentioned is because we we had a, we had these huge issues with the domestic distribution recently where the products were not being delivered as even in the time frame that we had an, an agreement on this logistic company and what we did was actually we bought our own car and this for the Stockholm County we hired a driver and we took over the Stockholm County distribution ourselves we just said enough is enough we have waited six months and they cannot you know sort out the issue we understand the challenges they cannot do anything about it so okay let's solve at least the Stockholm County by ourselves and we had our own domestic distribution by our own driver and car March, I would say, and we continue to do that on a daily basis. Is it like, like a, is it a truck or it's like a, a, a fridge? It's a small van. It is a small van. It's a small van. And we have between 10 to 20 shipments per day. So we have our driver, Alex, who drives around Tokon County and delivers all these medicines to these pharmacies. Well, you took the matter in your own hands, right? Yes. I mean, it's, that's what you end up doing. Yeah, if, here's the thing. This sort of the business that you're in, it's so competitive. That if you drop your service level, anybody can take over. So, oh yeah, yeah, is extremely important. The competition is there. If if you are not going to deliver, then the then the pharmacy will come else. or hospitals. Extreme competition for all these standards. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, exactly, exactly. It's, so it's, it's a very tough. business. You have to be on top of your game every single day, all year round. Gotcha. It's okay. fun and it keeps you alive. <laughs> <laughs>
I have a question. So you are the CEO, right? Are you the founder of the company? Yes, yes. We were two in the beginning, three. but now it's there were two. We became three, and then we're back to. Okay, tell me. Is it, look, I'll tell you honestly. Female leadership is very scarce, and I'm actually very proud that um, you've been recommended this podcast, and you know I'm enjoying this as well. But I want other women to learn about like what is it to start a company, especially in such a market like. The one you do with working with pharmacies and, and medicines. Tell me a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey as a female. Why is it most challenging personally for you as a female entrepreneur, female business leader? I think that the biggest challenge I've had has been with the image of manufacturers. Okay. Where I have not been, I guess, taken seriously. Are you uh, what in Sweden? <laughs> or, no, 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 these are, these are some European. No, 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 not in Sweden. No. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. European manufacturers, for example, I can give it without doing too much. We were involved with a Dutch company and um, mm-hmm. uh, I got tricked, I got manipulated, and uh, the way this person was talking to me was like, hey, you need a star. Condescending, yeah. yeah. It's very con- condescending, and I today I regret why I did not walk out of that meeting. I still don't understand why I just sat there and listened. But other than that, to be honest, I must say that I've been very blessed and lucky because, in general, I haven't had that many challenges. The bank has always had my back, and my business partner has always had my back. And uh, vendors have always had my back, and the thing with the you know pharmacy chains, they've been very very supportive since day one, since you know we started the company. The same thing with our IT vendors, it's like they you know this elderly couple who had their own IT company and they helped us to you know set up our CRM and business system. As they took us in like they you know we were their children, and till today they still help us with everything. I can call them without nice. like and they would help out. I haven't had that many challenges. It's just that sometimes when it comes to some, let's say, and some outside, let's say, uh, European companies, I've had some challenges. I've also had a challenge with one American company where the attitude was different compared to, let's say, our company values and different, different level. I don't, I don't want to reveal so much, but it we just ended up not continuing same company values and you know how, how you collaborate and how partnership and business is done and I really really appreciate transparency and honesty and there was lack of honesty in that. but ever done that is this, that, is this your first enterprise or you've been doing like business well, before this is my very very first oh wow I saw so much success thank you and I think the reason behind this success is one of them is is being transparent I've been transparent with everything, with our vendors and also with the policy chains. We are very transparent. And mm-hmm. also I've had really, really, really good colleagues who are, who really care about the business, but also about each other and they help each other. Having a great team in place means the world. You can have the greatest business ideas, but if you don't have the team to implement, they don't matter. They don't matter at all. Gotcha. So how do you keep your team motivated? By giving them the freedom to 
take care of the customers and they do their own pricing. I give them guidelines in the beginning, what factors they should, you know, think about. But other than that, they have full freedom of uh, handling the customers and uh, also paying them handsomely. I think it's very important to give proper salaries and bonuses to the staff and make their lives easy. And they do really appreciate it. So it's the freedom of responsibility where they take care of their customers and clients mm-hmm. as they wish, mm-hmm. and, but also general bonuses and salaries. So they can have really good, you know, quality life. I want them to be able to buy whatever they want to do, go to any concert they want to, take vacation wherever they want and be fulfilled. Because life is not about work, definitely not. And they should have really good, you know, quality of life. Whether it be going to concerts or taking, you know, long vacations, quality of life matters. If your colleagues and your employees are happy uh, in private life, then they're also happy and satisfied at work. That's an interesting philosophy. I'm going to write it down. Yeah. Very <laughs> okay, cool. So you like the work-life balance or more like life-work balance, right? More yes. on the life side. Of yes, yes. I don't think you're born in this world to work. Absolutely. And you're a business leader. Wow. All right. I'll know okay. that. Okay. We don't have much time left. So I'm going to ask you your last question. So what would be the advice you would give to other, let's say, female leaders in pharma? I would say that it's very humble. And it's extremely important. Ask your colleagues and your coworkers for their opinion. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though you've been successful for years, but it getting to your head, I think it's really, it really helps when you're down to earth. Mm-hmm. And I say, try to be as transparent as possible with your customers. That is something that has helped us so much during several occasions. Even when it comes to tenders, I can give an example. I tell the pharmacies what are raw purchase prices. I tell them exactly what it is. Yes, and it works. They appreciate it because it takes away this illusion or this potential illusion or, or you know idea that we are because we are a private company and we are greedy and we are there to make as much money as possible. Yes, we are a private company. Yes, we would like to make money, but we also want to be transparent and show that you know show the numbers and figures. So we tell the pharmacy chains. No, right. yeah. we show them the raw purchase prices and we tell them, well, look, we have added 35% because of this and this and this. Yes. And it every single time. People would be amazed how small of a markup though, actually. Distributors, like what companies like you make. I think it's better if you actually tell them it will open up. Most pharmacies are like vendors, they think, oh, like you charge millions, but actually it's like a very small markup that you give by. Yeah, true. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki, for the podcast. Hopefully we can meet uh, maybe in a year time and you'll tell me more wonderful stories. We'll so, gather more learnings. from. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great, good one. Thank you. You too. Bye.